last Sunday, we began to talk about sabotage. Now, throughout the week, I'm wondering how many of you, uh, that concept of sabotage kind of came up in your mind or something happened. You thought, oh, there's sabotage in my life. Anybody besides me? Yeah, it just seemed like one of the, it's, it's funny. Uh, sometimes when you name something, you start seeing it, right, in your life. And I often find that when the Holy Spirit is working in my life in a particular area, I start to see that at work or those things happening in my life. And then, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because I see it, but then I'm also seeing it in other places. I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing sabotage in, uh, in the news where different things are happening. I'm thinking, oh, that, that's an interesting political situation or, or that's an interesting economic situation. And you can see, uh, you can see those things begin to play out in other places and spaces. And that's how it's been for me, specifically around this issue of sabotage. I want to uh, let you know, if you, if you weren't here last Sunday, or, or if you ever miss on a Sunday, you can always go to our website. You can download the podcast uh, where you can, you can catch up on messages. Also, we're, uh, we've now got our video capability back up, and so we're going to be posting uh, a video of the messages on YouTube, and there will be a link to that throughout all of our social media. Uh, so you have that available. You can be utilizing that, sharing that, however you'd like to do that. Well, we're, uh, as we're talking about sabotage, there's some things that, that we learned last Sunday. We learned that there is a great conspiracy against you, and it is uh, the enemy of your soul, Satan. Any of you that, you know, are tinfoil hat wearing people who are always looking for a conspiracy theory like me, let me just let you in on it. There is a conspiracy against you. Some of you are like, tinfoil hat, what does that mean? <laughs> you know those people who chase down all the conspiracy theories and they wear the tinfoil hat because they think there's radio waves going into their brain. <laughs> now do you get it? Then now we put the ear pods in and they're literally, anyways, it's a whole other thing. <laughs> there is a conspiracy against us. The Bible makes it clear we have an enemy. He's the enemy of our soul. He hates us. He wants to destroy us. And he's constantly at work. He does use people, but the truth is you have an enemy. He hates you. And the truth that we have learned is that oftentimes, oftentimes the person that he uses the most is ourselves. Sabotage means to deliberately damage, destroy, or to obstruct. You have an enemy who's doing everything he can to deliberately damage, destroy, and obstruct the purpose, the plan, the destiny of God for your life. It's not your imagination. It's not your imagination. There is a plan. There is a conspiracy against you. It's probably not who you think it is. It's the enemy of your soul. It's Satan. He certainly uses people. Sometimes we know who those people are, but sometimes we don't realize who those people are because sometimes those people are ourselves. To overcome sabotage, I must approach it. This is the crux of what we learned last week. To overcome sabotage, I must approach it from a place of humility. I must recognize its source and I must respond with a renewed mind. The reason many of us are stuck in a consistent, constant place of sabotage is because we do not allow, allow our mind to be renewed. We are constantly, we are constantly stuck 
stuck falling for the traps that the enemy lays for us, falling for the patterns of thought and behavior that have controlled us our entire lives. We're constantly caught in this cycle of being baited into sin or baited into brokenness or baited into despair or anxiety or fear. And we go down the rabbit hole, if you will, and we live in that cycle, that cycle of sabotage. And then that leads to self-sabotage. The greatest weapon of sabotage in my life is me. Now, most of us have a hard time believing that. No, it's my mother-in-law. I said it last week. I'm not talking about my mother-in-law. She's amazing. I'm not making a joke. She really is. She loves me. She's one of my biggest fans. So I'm... But some of y'all done told me about your mother-in-law, so I know. <laughs> I know. It's my father-in-law. It's my mother-in-law. It's my grandma. It's my, it's my kid. It's my spouse. It's my boss. It's the system. It's the government. There's always this outside thing. And the reality is the enemy certainly uses other people. And the reality is other people are broken. And they certainly fall into patterns of doing damage to us. What I've noticed, I believe what scripture teaches us and I believe what we're learning from 2 Corinthians is that if I'm gonna overcome sabotage in my life, the first place that I need to look is I need to allow the Holy Spirit to look at me and to untangle the thinking and the pattern that exists in my life so that I am free from the hold of sabotage in my own mind, in my own heart, in my own spirit. And once I'm free from the matrix of sabotage that's constantly trying trying to keep me caught in this cycle from that place of freedom, now I can begin to respond to the people and circumstances and situations that are agreeing with that sabotage in my life. We started looking at 2 Corinthians last week. 2 Corinthians is the third letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It's a complicated situation. Many of us, because we uh, have never been taught or we're too lazy to read scripture in context, we take a book like 2 Corinthians and we just pull verses out of it and we have no idea what it was actually talking about. We just use it like bumper stickers. And because we don't know what it's actually talking about and we use it like bumper stickers, it doesn't work in our life. It's like a meme that we just quote and we, we quote it as if it has power just by quoting it because we misunderstand uh, the idea that God's word has power. God's word does have power when we, when we align ourselves with what it really means. It doesn't have power when we take it out of context and just apply it like a magic potion to our life. And many of us have never been taught or we haven't done the hard work of understanding the situation of 2 Corinthians. And that's why we haven't really properly applied it in our life. 2 Corinthians is Paul, like I said, his third letter to the church at Corinth. And there's a, there is a very difficult situation that's going on in this church. Paul founded this church many years before. He was the apostle that started the church, but has gone on and has planted other churches, and the church had some specific uh, sin that existed in the church and problems that existed in the church. And so Paul had written to them and had gone to them to try to correct these problems. And, and ultimately, some people responded to the correction and some people didn't. Corinth was a very spiritual place. A lot of people were super spiritual, but had low character. 
And so they pretended like they were Christians and like they loved Jesus and like they were powerful because they, they had all these power demonstrations, but they had low character. They were full of sin. And so as a result of being full of sin, all of their power demonstrations would eventually mean nothing because ultimately they didn't look like Jesus. They weren't being made into disciples. And so the work of the church was being undone constantly. And so Paul is trying to correct this. And there are people there who just don't want to have, no one wants to be corrected, right? people don't like to be corrected. And, and Paul had attempted to correct really poor theology and really bad character and a pseudo spirituality. They would, oh, we're so spiritual, we're so spiritual. But in reality, they didn't look like, live like, act like Jesus. And so they really weren't Christians. And so he's correcting this issue. They were gossips. They were liars. They were mean. They were angry. They stole money. They cooperated with compromise. They did all the same stuff that people who didn't know Jesus, except they called themselves Christians. And they did all the spiritual stuff. And so Paul says, listen, you can be as spiritual as you want to be, but you got to be transformed to be like Jesus. And, and so they did not respond to this correction well. And, and then what would happen is they found uh, these Paul refers to them in 2 Corinthians as super apostles who would show up at the church. And, and what these people did is they really wanted, they just exploited the people and, and extracted money from the people so they could perpetuate their ministries. Now, some of them were undoubtedly uh, great, great people doing good things, but many of them were false teachers and false preachers, and they would find factions in the church, and the, that group of factions would be their cheerleaders, and they would extract money from them. And the people, instead of, instead of aligning with what Paul was trying to teach them to really grow them to be followers of Jesus, instead, they would, rather, they would rather allow their ears to be tickled. They would rather hear things they wanted to hear. And so people started rejecting Paul and it, it went from being passive to really becoming uh, very, very hard and very, very difficult. And so that's the occasion as Paul's written this third letter to the church at Corinth because he's written the second letter. He's gone and visited them. It, it didn't go well at first, but, but some people are starting to turn and he wants to go back there again. And so he's wrote this letter to them basically to try to mend the relationship. And we're gonna get into it today. He talks about reconciliation. Again, this is why you gotta understand your Bible. This is why you have to actually study it. Because when Paul talks about reconciliation in 2 Corinthians, it's because his whole letter was about reconciliation. So Paul is writing to them and he's beginning to establish uh, this argument to lead to reconciliation. And in establishing the argument to lead to reconciliation, he's, he starts to address the, the conflict that exists. People there there were people there in the church at Corinth and these outsiders who, again, were exploiting the people who were undermining who Paul was. They were taught bad about him. They would make fun of him. They would say he's not really an apostle. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't look right physically. He wasn't a good enough speaker. He wasn't powerful enough when he spoke in front of people. He didn't behave like one of the super apostles, so he must not really be a man of God. And that was absolutely absurd because obviously Paul had started this church. But that's how far things can go when sabotage starts to work. When sabotage starts to work, when sabotage starts happening in your life, things that used to seem impossible now, that used to seem ridiculous, now are just accepted. I just want to let that sink in for a second. Things that we used to think that could never happen is now all of a sudden our, our everyday life. 
Just start to apply that to your everyday life. Are there things happening in your everyday life that 10 years ago you thought, that would never happen to me? That would never happen to us? Hello? That would never happen in my marriage. That would never happen at my company. I would never be in this situation. But see, sabotage starts to turn the world upside down. It starts to normalize dysfunction. It starts to normalize brokenness. The process of sabotage is to normalize the acceptance of what is wrong and make it right. And here's the situation where Paul had literally founded the church at Corinth. If there was anyone who should have loved Paul and accepted Paul and have known Paul's heart, it was the church at Corinth. And now the church at Corinth, the church that he birthed, now is questioning his heart. See how crazy that is? Have you ever been in a relationship that got sabotaged? Where you woke up one day and somebody is questioning your affection and love for them and you're like, how in the world did we get here? Hello? So Paul is writing to them and let's just pick up. He, he gets into sort of the last half third of the book and he starts to defend his apostleship because at the crux of the issue, the way Paul was being sabotaged is basically people were saying, he's not really an apostle. And because he's not really an apostle, then we don't have to listen to what he has to say. We don't, we don't have to be corrected. We can, we can live our lives the way we wanna live our lives. We can be super spiritual over here and live like garbage over here. We can come to church and go through all the motions, but be a, a gossip and, and nobody can hold us accountable. We can come to church and speak in tongues over here, but over here treat people like, like we hate them because we do. And nobody can hold us accountable. In this particular case, one of the specific issues that Paul was addressing was that the church at Corinth um, had, had made some commitments to give money um, to the church in Jerusalem that was starving to death and now they weren't giving the money. They, they had, had a covenant, they had a promise to give, but they weren't giving. And, and the people who were undermining Paul was like, oh, should we really be giving to Paul? You should be giving to us super apostles because look, we put on this magic show for you over here. This is what you really want. So that's one of the issues that Paul had, had to address with them. But see, they were saying, well, how is Paul supposed to collect any money from you? I mean, look, he doesn't, this is what was so crazy about this. And Paul talks about it. Paul wasn't even taking a salary from that church. He was the founder of the church. He had worked for them and never taken a dime from the church, never taken a penny, never taken any money. And the rumor was, oh, don't give it to Paul because, because I mean, he doesn't even take, give it to us. Instead, we'll use it. Now, they were enriching themselves and Paul was actually using the money to build other churches. And instead of giving there, they were giving somewhere else. They were saying, Paul's not really an apostle. Don't support his ministry because look it up. You see, what, you see how crazy it is? If you were gonna give somewhere, you would give to the one that you could trust with the money. They were, they were just blowing their money over here. That's how crazy sabotage is. So Paul picks up and 
He's correct. He starts, to, he starts to defend his apostleship. He starts to address the sabotage in his life. And that's where we started last week in chapter 10. I want to pick up in chapter 12, in verses 11 through 21. Paul, in this whole discord on, de, uh, on defending his apostleship, he says this. He says, um, I, I have been a fool. You force me to it. For, I'm going to read, I'm going to read a long portion to you because I want you to get this this morning. I ought to have been commended by you for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. See, I told you I wasn't making that up. That's what he said. Even though I am nothing, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the the churches, except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me for this wrong. It's crazy town, upside down. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours, but you. Here's the difference between me and those other apostles. I didn't come after your money. I wanted your heart. I loved you. I sought what was good for you. Can you not see that? For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Wow. Let that sink in for a second. Boy, that challenges culture, doesn't it? For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say. This is what people were saying about him. I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality they have practiced. See, a lot of times, as I mentioned earlier, when, we, when we're lazy or we haven't been taught well to read and study our Bibles, we read passages of scripture like that and we think to ourselves, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me, so I'm just gonna move past that. But when we really understand scripture and the gift 
that we have in these letters that Paul wrote, we can see very clearly that Paul is outlining for us a pattern of how you overcome sabotage in your life. Paul has been sabotaged by these false teachers. He's been sabotaged by people who are not really Christians, but are pretending to be Christians who are undermining his leadership in the church. And now we see his response to sabotage. I don't know about you, but because I've never been taught how to deal with sabotage, often my response to sabotage isn't out of the spirit, it's out of my flesh. I talked about it last Sunday. When someone bows up to me, when someone approaches me aggressively, my natural response is to respond with aggressiveness. Anybody besides me? Somebody gets loud with me, what do I do? I get loud with them. Somebody starts to mess with me, what do I do? I mess with them. My flesh responds to their flesh with a fleshly response. Paul in 2 Corinthians models for us the humility of responding to sabotage out of the spirit. If you know anything about Paul and you know anything about the letters that Paul wrote, what you read in 2 Corinthians is the letter of a mature man who has learned how to move past his flesh and his own insecurities and his own fears and his own brokenness and respond to people who have hurt him, who have wounded him, who have falsely accused him. And he's writing this mature letter and he says, you know what? I can see that I've... I've made some mistakes in this situation. But just because I made some mistakes, I'm also not gonna get into a place of self-pity. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit. And he outlines in that passage that I just read, I believe, some very clear things about sabotage. The first thing that I think you can see from that passage is that your saboteur keeps you on the defensive. The purpose of sabotage is to keep you on the defensive, to lure you into a place in which things are triggered and now you stay on the defensive. And when you're on the defensive, what are you doing? You're defending what you have. You can't move forward. Any of you play sports? I know some of you are really sporty in high school. Any of you play sports? You're all required to play sports in school. Why are you looking at me like that? When you play sports, there's offense and there's defense, is there not? Defense is wonderful. It keeps the other team from scoring, but it takes offense to win the game. You have to move stuff forward to win the game. You're never going to win the game on defense. Defense is absolutely necessary, but you're never going to win the game on defense. The purpose of sabotage or what sabotage does when it's at work in your life is it triggers you and it keeps you in a state of defensiveness. And when you're in a state of defensiveness, you cannot move forward. Imagine, just for a moment, Imagine being Paul, you've planted this church, you've mothered this church, you've multiple times gone back to this church to try to help them. And yet the people there are rejecting you. You've never taken anything from them and you see them giving their money to all of these magic shows and all of this nonsense everywhere where people are just trying to exploit them and they're using the very fact that you've never exploited them as an opportunity for accusation against you. 
Imagine how you must have felt. And if you study scripture and you study Paul and you understand who he was pre-Christ, then you understand how opposite it is of his personality type to respond the way he did in this letter. He said, hey, hey, I'm gonna approach this in humility. Yeah, that's not true about me. That's not true about me, but I'm not gonna fight with you. I'm not gonna fight with you. I'm not gonna stay in this place of defensiveness. I'm not gonna keep going around this same issue over and over and over because as long as we fight about this thing that we both know is not true, we're never gonna move forward. Many of us are not moving forward in our life because we're staying in that place of being triggered and we never move past it. We just, keep, we just keep entertaining the sabotage. We keep entertaining the same argument. We keep entertaining the same nonsense. We keep entertaining the same lie. We keep entertaining the same tack over and over and over again. At some point in your life, I'm not telling you to lay down and say, oh, I'll just accept it. No, just say, that's not true about me. I'm moving on. That's not who I am I'm moving on. Here's what the enemy does. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. What does that mean? It means that a part of his tactic in your life is to keep saying the same thing about you over and over and over again to keep triggering within you the pattern that used to hold you. You gotta get that. You know what he's gonna do? He's gonna come look at you the moment you go to move forward and he's gonna say, "Uh uh-uh, you can't move forward because you're a liar. Remember that time when you lied and that other time when you lied and that other time when you lied? You're a liar, so you can't move forward. And many of us are so caught up into proving to the devil what we're not that we're not living out what God says that we are. We're so hell-bent on convincing, we're so so hell-bent on convincing others that we're not the person that we could never be without the help of the Holy Spirit that we never move forward to be who the Holy Spirit is helping us to be. We're on the defensive. We're like the insecure little teenage boy who's always looking to posture himself in the room to show people who he is, to show people what he is. We're like the insecure little girl who walks into the room and is always checking and making sure and trying to control the situation and avoid the trigger. Your saboteur, your enemy, which oftentimes looks like yourself when you look in the mirror, is just a plan to keep you stuck to get you to come into agreement over and over and over again with the voice of the enemy, that will accuse you. Can I help you this morning? At some point, at some point, you have to decide, I am no longer going to entertain the voice. I'm no longer going to entertain the voice of the accuser. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. No one has to remind me what I was. I know what I was. But that's the key word, was. No, no, Randy, every time I, every time I mess up, then, then I'm that thing again. No, I'm not that thing. I'm not that sin. I'm not that mistake. I'm not that failure. 
And many of you are in a season with the Lord right now where he's moving you forward in your relationships, in your businesses. He's moving you forward in your marriage. And he's got you caught in this place where he's triggering those old things in your life. And you've got to decide, like Paul, you know what? This stuff that's being said about me, that may have provoked or triggered who I was. But as Paul, I'm not going to fight back with these people. I'm not going to become prideful and arrogant. When Paul talks it, if you go and you read 2 Corinthians, he uses this play on words about boasting and pride. It's because that's an old thing in his life that had to die. Pre-Christ, Paul was very prideful in his religious capacity to please God. That died when he met Jesus. And so the enemy was constantly trying to provoke his insecurity and his religious pride. And so these words that he chose in 2 Corinthians were all there on purpose for him basically to say, I will not fall into the trap of being that person anymore. It's not who I am. Your saboteur specializes in gaslighting you. You ever been gaslit before? Where you're living your life and a circumstance or a situation just is so committed to your demise that you're made to feel like you're crazy, like you don't even know reality anymore. Like you know something to be true so much, but it gets repeated so often that this is the way that it's gotta be or this is the way that it is or this is true about you and it's said so often and so consistently and other people are brought into it and then before you look around, you're like, man, have I completely detached from reality? Anybody besides me? As you read this passage, you see what Paul writes to these people. Were you any less favored than the rest of the churches? I didn't burn you, forgive me for, like I didn't take money from you, so that's a problem. These people are stealing from you, I didn't, but now I'm the problem because I didn't manipulate you into giving money. Somehow that's a bad thing. The world is turned upside down and now all of a sudden all of the things that were quality, loving, fathering characteristics that Paul was exhibiting in their life was, was abusive or terrible or wrong. Paul says, I sent, Timoth- I sent Titus to you. He loved you. The guy he brought with you, he loved you. Everything that I've done in your life has been for your good, but somehow everything that I've done that's been for your good has been turned around as if it was somehow good for me. See, when you're caught in a place of sabotage, the enemy causes right to look wrong and wrong to look right in your life. And it gets piled on and piled on and piled on until eventually you're like Paul, like he wrote in this letter, am I wrong? Did I somehow, am I the one who's crazy in this situation? Any of you ever ask yourself that? Some of us need to, no, I'm just kidding. Our enemy specializes in, in gaslighting. Well, what do, you, what do you mean, Randy? Just remember the Garden of Eden. You remember the Garden of Eden? Eve was in the Garden of Eden. The serpent comes, Eve. Hey, that tree looks good. Why are you, why are you not eating that tree? Oh, well, God said, 
We're not supposed to eat of that tree. Ah, did he really say you're not supposed to eat of that tree? Doesn't that tree look really good? What is he trying to withhold from? Yeah, I think maybe you are to eat of that tree. Maybe he didn't, maybe he, this whole process of gaslighting. And before she knew it, she was taking of the tree of the garden of Eden. She was, Adam was taking of the tree of the, in the garden, over and over and over again, you've seen the same pattern again and again and again in scripture. It's what the enemy does. He takes truth, he turns it upside down, says it so much, so often, gets so many to agree with you. Before you know it, you're in alignment with what seems like complete and utter craziness. And you look up one day and you're like, how did we get here? Well, how is this going on in my life? How, how many times have I sat with couples where one of the spouses is in the middle of an affair and we're talking and they're looking at me, giving me all of the reasons. They've even taken the Bible out of context. They found this prophet friend who agrees with them and gave them a word from the Lord to cheat on them. All of this craziness and I'm looking at them and I'm like, how do you believe what's coming out of your mouth? How many times have you seen businesses completely turned upside down? People are stealing money. They're making complete compromise. And you're like, how did we get here? And everybody's got a justification for it. Wrong is turned into right. Right is turned into wrong. And before we know it, we're violating scripture. We're violating our own conscience. We're violating others. And it's all because we've come to believe complete, complete nonsense. The other thing that I think you can see in this passage is not only does your saboteur keep you on the defense and your saboteur specializes in gaslighting, but your progress is used as a door pass to reinforce the lie of the enemy. And this is, this is kind of the next level thing that I wanted you to get from this passage. It was, I already mentioned this. If you understand Paul's development as a person, as a follower of Jesus, he had matured to the place where he had moved past his religious pride and yet they were attacking him in the very area of his personal identity and his pride. Do you see that? We have a tendency to read scripture and we, we, we read about these people in scripture as if they're like superheroes or as if they're like Marvel comic characters or something and they're imperfect. But these were real people. Paul was a real man who had really been transformed by, by Christ. And in that transformation, the Lord dealt with his pride. And yet this was the very area where they were attacking him and they were trying to get him to bow up and to be boastful and to be proud and to assert himself in this situation. That was the trap. That was the snare. The enemy was trying to get him to behave like who he was before Jesus. And the enemy was using his progress in bearing the fruit of the Spirit, his progress in being transformed to look and be more like Jesus as a, as a door pass to come in and to reinforce the fact that, Paul, you're really, you're really just a prideful person. You're really just an arrogant person. The enemy hates you so much and he hates me so much. He's gonna do everything he can. He's gonna do everything he can to extract as much as much as he can from our lives. He will do everything he can to walk all over you, to walk all over your dignity and your pride in Jesus Christ. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter five, because earlier in the book, Paul had established 
sort of his mindset that gave him the freedom that he was walking in. Verses 14 through 21, he says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, Paul had no time to allow his pride and his arrogance to be triggered in his life because he was already convinced that he didn't have to fight for himself because he had died for himself. That there was no glory left for Paul. He didn't need his ego to be stroked. He didn't need himself to be justified because he had died to himself and all glory was for Jesus. So he didn't need any glory for himself. He didn't need to be recognized. He didn't need anybody to pat him on the back and say, oh look at Paul he's the apostle he's a good preacher he's a good church leader it didn't matter to him because he had died to himself man this is good stuff from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation Remember how I said we take Bible verses out of context and we read them like bumper stickers? Understand the context. The context is a man who is being assaulted, who is being sabotaged, who's been woefully mistreated by the very people that he loved. And Paul said, because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm not going to respond to those people as if they are my saboteurs. I'm not gonna respond to them as if they're my enemy. I'm not gonna respond to them as if they're trying to take any Anything from me I look at them and I regard them in Christ I'm not going to defend myself I'm not going to fight with them I'm not going to try to explain myself I don't need to prove anything to them I am going to look at them as if they are in Christ because I myself am in Christ he reframes sabotage completely I'm not the defender I don't need to defend myself Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sabotage is designed to exploit the blind spots in your life and in my life. That's what a saboteur does. A saboteur looks for the blind spots and it attacks you there. And it attacks you there so that it can exploit you. Paul says, listen, I'm gonna remove all the blind spots in my life because I'm gonna die to myself. I'm gonna give up my flesh, my pride, my need for approval, my need for affirmation, my need for attention, my need for self-justification. I'm gonna die to all do it. So I do not have any blind spots in my life. I'm surrendered to Christ. 
we must under, undermine sabotage or we undermine sabotage when we change our perspective. Paul chose a different perspective and because he chose a different perspective, he could undo sabotage in his life. Oftentimes for many of us, it's because we still live with the mindset, the perspective of our flesh that we keep falling for sabotage. Pastor, I don't understand it. I'm a Christian. I come to church. I do the right things. Why do I keep falling for it? Why do I stay in this place? Well, the reason I stay in this place, the reason I keep falling for it is because I'm not regarding others and myself through the lens of Christ. I'm regarding others as an enemy. When I see you as someone who can take something from me, I'm always gonna be on the defensive to protect what I have. You gotta get that. Paul, in his maturity, said, listen, even the false teachers, even the super apostles, even those of you who made promises to me that you haven't kept, even those of you who are insulting me, even those of you who are hurting me, even those who are lying about me and using me and all of these things, Paul says, here's the thing. I'm making a choice. I'm making a decision. I'm going to change the way that I look at you and I'm going to change the way that I see myself. And here's what I understand. Because of what Jesus has done in my life, you're not my enemy. You cannot take anything from me. The moment I realize that you cannot take anything from me, that you cannot hurt me, it diffuses the fact that you're my enemy. But as long as my relationship with you is based on reciprocity, as long as my relationship with you is based on threat and reward, there's always gonna be the opportunity for sabotage. But what Paul was demonstrating to the church at Corinth was he had matured to a place as a man that he viewed other people through the lens that no one can hurt me and no one can take anything from me. That God is my source and if anything happens to me, it's because God has allowed it and I trust him so therefore I don't have to be afraid of you. I trust him. And so even if you fail me, I don't have to live with the bitterness of that failure because God is my supply. Even if this church had made a promise to the church of Jerusalem and hadn't sent them the money, Paul said, I'm not gonna be mad at you about that. If you don't honor your commitments, if you don't live up to your covenants, God's still gonna supply. I see you through the lens of Jesus instead of the lens of your failure. Because there's nothing you can do to hurt me and there's nothing you can take from me. See, that's what a mature person understands. That's what a healthy person spiritually believes. There's nothing you can do to hurt me and there's nothing you can do to take anything away from me. And when I believe that and I understand that, then I don't fall for sabotage. But as long as I believe you can hurt me and as long as I believe you can take something from me, I stay in my flesh and I'm continually sabotaged in my relationship with you. Sabotage is ineffective in our life when we commit ourselves to righteousness of God. Righteousness of God. Righteousness of God. It is a thing. 
It is a reality. It is a state of being. Paul called the church to righteousness. And he said, live in that space. When I live in the righteousness of God as a state of being, sabotage is ineffective in my life. What is righteousness of God? Righteousness of God is a standing that we have in Christ Jesus. It is a standing that we have in Christ Jesus that corrects our view of the world, our view of selves, our view of others. It is God's way of seeing us, God's way of seeing others, our way of seeing God. And when that is right in my life, now all of a sudden all of the traps that are set for me are ineffective because my state of being is right. The promise of Jesus, friend, is not that you have fire insurance and escape hell someday. The promise of Jesus is that the work of the Holy Spirit brings you into right standing with God today. That you are brought into the right standing with God today so that no matter your circumstance, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer trapped. You're no longer caught by the snare because you live outside of it. You live outside of it because nothing can hurt you and nothing can take anything away from you. Scripture says, why worry about your body? Why worry about what people can do with you? If your body dies, you've been promised a new body in the next, in the next life. Why worry about what people, something, somebody can take from you? Your God is a supply. Scripture over time had built this mindset into God's people and yet for some reason, we've lost that mindset. Can I tell you what I believe the reason is that we lost that mindset? We lost that mindset because we chase super apostles and false teachers who will scratch our itching ears, who will feed our flesh, who will allow us to behave any way we wanna behave as long as they can exploit us and keep getting from us what they need for themselves. Paul was trying to correct that in the early church and I believe, I believe that we as the body of Christ in 2023 need to live in that understanding today. We're not falling for false teaching. We're not chasing false teaching that validates our flesh, but instead we say, God, make me righteous. Right with you, right with others, and right with myself.